Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Podcast. I am Charlie Folkstead, joined as always by my co-host Reed Tingley and producer Paul Kress. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing good. How are you doing, Charlie? I am exhausted. It feels like it should be Thursday already and it's only Tuesday. Yeah, we've got some uh, good news, actually. Two of the podcast members are reuniting uh, tomorrow. (laughs) Producer Paul's taking a business trip down to New Orleans. We'll be uh, catching the slate down in the south this weekend. In just over 12 hours, I'll be getting on a flight and falling asleep in the socially distanced uh, airplane. Imagine not not staying in the Pacific time zone for the first weekend of Pac-12 action. I I don't have to. No, we get to sleep in till 11. Yeah. Then we get to go all night, baby. This is this is this is true. Plus, uh, you know what they say: Central Time Zone, best times. No, no one has no ever one said that. that. <laughs> no one, no. <laughs> Pacific Time Zone is the best time zone. We get packed twelve after dark till like one a.m. here, though. It's it's pretty. That nice. really is after dark. It's I, nice. It's for still after students. dark here. It's yeah. it's. Yeah. Whatever. <sighs> All right. So. Um, yeah, our basic idea for this this episode, we're going to talk about um, our five biggest games for the weekend nationally. Then we're going to go through the Pac-12 and then finish it up really burrowing in on, on the Ducks matchup this weekend for Stanford and leave you with our predictions for that. Yeah, so around the country, I mean, obviously, I don't even have to mention what the biggest game is. It's, it's Georgia-Florida, like... I'm so excited for this game for so many different reasons, not just because I'm a Georgia fan, but like, I'm so excited for this game. Get a grip. This might be, <laughs> this might be like, on paper, this is shaping up to be like the most, one of the most fun games of the year, just to watch from a neutral perspective. Like, yeah. No, I'm excited too, definitely. I think that we've been hyping up this race in the SEC East all year. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I mean, this is the game it comes down to. And with not that much time left in the season, really. And yeah. a lo- both these teams kind of have a lot of their bigger opponents out of the way. I think that whoever wins this game really has a commanding lead. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I know we were like, Ugabama was supposed to be like, oh, like game of the century part three whatever like (laughs) earlier this year didn't shape up to be all that like entertaining by the end of it but like this has a chance to be like like a close game throughout and one with implications and two teams that like actually hate each other like i didn't realize how big this rivalry was until i went down south because i mean from from up here it just seems like oh yeah like georgia and florida like They play in Jacksonville every year. It's the cocktail party. It's whatever, but like the COVID party. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The COVID party. (laughs) Um, There is some pageantry to it. It, There's definitely a rivalry there. There's, there's some, uh, there's some hate. Yeah. Like they, uh, they hate each other. Like that's, that's Georgia's main rival right there with Florida. I mean, and kind of Florida's too right now. Like I know Florida, Florida state is like a huge, you know, yearly game or whatever. But in terms of yearly opponents, like this is the biggest one for each of them, certainly in the conference. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, for sure. 
I'm just yeah. excited to see the raw motion of it, even if UGA's you know going to be missing some guys. Yeah, I know I said kind of on the last episode that I was starting to feel like I'd be surprised if Florida won, but it seems like over the past couple of days there's been some injury uh, like information trickling out about the Georgia team. Uh, with like LeCount and Pickens might not be a go and um, their other safety. Yeah, and Rice, I think it's going to be out. Yeah. Rice is still kind of like up in the air. It's just a lot of, I mean, and obviously with the the line is trending too. Like, I think it opened with UGA at like five point favorites or four and a half, and now it's down to three and a half or three. Like, it's, it's going to be a fun one. Um, yeah, for sure. And I think yeah. it's interesting, too, because Florida's had, like, all this time off. We don't really know mm-hmm. what to expect from them. Like, it's it's going to be interesting. Yeah, and they kind of had, like, um, they had the whole fight with Missouri at halftime last week. Yeah. But then, and which is, like, makes me just kind of feel like Dan Mullen doesn't know how to run, like, a championship caliber program. But then they also played, like, really well in the second half after that, so... Yeah, and I mean that I feel like that game spoke more to like just Missouri not having the guys to stack up to Florida at the end, yeah. which is how a lot of these SEC games work. Um, yeah. when it really comes down to the second half. I mean, we saw it with Georgia Arkansas as a perfect example earlier in the year. Yeah, um, or, or like Auburn LSU last week was oh, like that was crazy. That, was that like maybe apart from the Mississippi State game against LSU, was that the most surprising result of the year, just across the board? Yeah, just based on how dominant it was. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, Mizzou beat LSU. That was pretty surprising. But it was also weird because LSU kind of looked like they were, like, riding the ship, and then it was just a huge letdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, and they had the uh, quarterback change and everything, too. But yeah. whatever. Um, so, so right now... Georgia by a field goal, let's say, or a little over a field goal, three and a half. What do you think? Do you take Georgia there? Do oh, I can't Florida? bet against the dogs, baby. Yeah, of course you can. <laughs> I, I, I actually think I might be on Florida now. Yeah, I can't really I, blame you, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I just think the injuries, I'm, I'm just worried about it. And I, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Kyle Trask to Kyle Pitts. I think I think they could do it. I wouldn't have said that if Georgia was healthy, probably. But it's if if they score, I mean, like Bama scored, and ultimately, it just felt like UGA didn't have like the punches with Stetson Bennett to keep up. Yeah. Now this Florida offense probably isn't quite at the Bama level, but they're pretty good, and and I kind of could see a similar thing happening. And I mean, the key to this one is going to be the same same thing I said about. UGA Bama was that it's big plays like Bama got two or three over the top and it, that basically ended the game like yeah dogs can't keep up on offense if the Gators get like a, like you said maybe it's Kyle Pitts maybe it's somebody else on the outside getting behind the defense that's that's when you know like okay this shit is hitting the fan like yeah are we gonna yeah, bleep that do we bleep things no no we don't okay good we're not that professional um <laughs> uh, but yeah in terms of like the Ducks I, personally I don't really think that the result matters that much either way mm-hmm. um, I think that uh, what really matters is that this team whoever wins this game loses to 
Alabama and Atlanta at the end of the year and hopefully loses by a, a, a couple touchdowns or a couple right. scores. Right. Yeah, I mean, basically, like, I, I guess you would you would want Florida to win um, just from a pure, like, Ducks getting in the playoff point of view. But it's still, you're right, it's way too early to tell. And, like, having a rooting yeah. interest is enough for me to say no to that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a pretty thin margin because I think that it could go either way. Because I think with, like, if, let's just say, if Georgia wins and then they lose to Bama close, it's like, oh, well, they've only lost to Bama, who's probably, like, I mean, definitely a top three team at that point. Maybe, yeah. like, number one. And then if Florida wins and then loses to Bama close, it could be the argument, well, Florida only had one shot at Bama, whereas Georgia, yeah. you know, could get discounted because, right. like, how many shots are we going to give them? I, I think yeah. either way, a two-loss uh, a two-loss non-conference champion is not going to be in over an undefeated, hypothetically, of course. Yeah, as, as, if we, as long as we look good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. You want to move on to uh, the other big game? Some people would maybe say this is a bigger game. I know you wouldn't as a Georgia fan, but uh, <laughs> Clemson-Notre Dame. I mean, the only reason I led with the first one um, is just because it – like this had playoff implications. I feel like both these teams still have a shot to make the playoff. Personally, I'm still not sold on Notre Dame being able to make the playoff. But uh, uh, okay, I mean, I I I don't think. You, but I I think UGA has a better shot in round two against Bama than Notre Dame would against Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, but but I mean, it's a it's a little ironic because. Or I guess not ironic, but um, I mean, both the SEC teams have one loss, and both True. the ACC teams are undefeated. And you're True. saying that the SEC teams still have a playoff chance. I mean, yeah, like if Florida and Notre Dame played this weekend, who who would you pick? Uh, I, I'd probably pick Florida. <laughs> I'd pretty. I'd pick them pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I. Yeah. That That's, being said. I'm but extremely the, excited. The to real have... question, who okay. would the FBI pick? Oh, Jesus. Well, you look They'd at a Notre team Dame, like Notre Dame, Dame, and they have the best <laughs> offensive line in college football. And I think that Notre Dame actually would match up well against Florida. I think that Florida has a great, great secondary. Notre Dame doesn't need to, to run. If, if they do play in this hypothetical game, Notre Dame doesn't need to air the ball out a lot. Hopefully they can run between the tackles and kind of control the game in – a way that you do see more physical teams um, match up against more offensively, you know, exciting teams. When, um, and that's not to say that Florida doesn't have some amazing athletes up front, but, but um, I, I think that if they played in that game and Notre Dame could take control of the ground game, uh, chew up a lot of clock, keep the ball, um, keep the ball in their offense's hands and not let it get to a shootout with Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts hooking up for, you know, a lot through the air. I think that game could be a low scoring win for Notre Dame actually. Yeah. For me, sometimes in these big games though, it, it kind of just comes down to who has the better quarterback, not to oversimplify things. Mm-hmm. And, and I just don't trust Ian book like at all for Notre Dame. But do you trust DJ for Clemson? Well, right, right, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I think that 
I think that Ducks fans, obviously we have like such an affinity for DJ because yeah. he was like going to be our savior who won us a national championship, we thought. Yep. Um, <laughs> but uh, I was still sold that he was going to college to San Mateo, personally. But, <laughs> I, mean, but um, I think... I think it's tough because, like, we saw Clemson look so good against Miami when they faced that big test. Mm -hmm. And then we saw him look, like, pretty bad against Boston College, especially in the first half, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, But I kind of think that they'll respond. I think that it was, like, a tough position getting DJ in there, like, just finding out late in the week. He's the starter. Like, probably didn't get many first-team reps. So I think that... Having that in-game experience, building the confidence on the comeback, and then he gets a full week of practice. I think Clemson's going to look pretty good. I mean, now, is DJ Trevor Lawrence as a freshman? No. No. I mean, no. Nobody like, is. No. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, I think that, I mean, my thinking about this is mainly framed around Clemson. Like, because obviously they're the ones who are, you know, number one. Um, yeah. And, and Travis Etienne is still the best player on the field. I just want to throw that out yes. there, too. Yeah, like, it, Clemson always does, I mean, we've heard this a thousand times, Clemson does that thing one year where they just have one flute game against a random opponent in the ACC. Yeah. This year, it's looking like it was Boston College, and then it's just yeah. like, okay, whatever, dominate everybody, move on. This year's yeah. different, though, for obvious reasons, because they have a team that has a legitimate shot of beating them for once. Mm-hmm. I mean, six points is not... Clemson's on the road, giving him six? I don't know. I, I might pick Notre Dame against the spread for that. As a better, what the only mm-hmm. bet that I love in this game is Notre Dame on the money line because I think the odds are going to be so good. And six points is not a lot. It's one, it's one possession. It's... Um, Inside yeah, I see number. plus and, 180 for Notre Dame money line. And with a freshman at quarterback who's been good in that second half against Boston College, but has been bad, like in the first half against Boston College, <laughs> when he came in as a backup against, I think, uh, the Citadel. And mm. he came in as a backup when they were up uh, I had three touchdowns, but he looked, he looked, they looked stagnant. They, they didn't look good. And... So there's been ups and downs for DJ this year. Um, and this will be the biggest spot by far for him in his college career. It, yeah. It's just, it's just, it's a toss up. And I think that um, Clemson I only stay away from betting the unproven freshman. Clemson only two and five against the spread this yeah. year. Notre Dame two and four. Yeah. Um, I, I just think that Clemson will outscore them. And yeah, meaning same. they will win. <laughs> Basically, for me, it comes down to I trust the combination of Dabo Sweeney and DJ more than I trust Brian Kelly and Ian Book. Yeah, Brian Kelly has kind of had some swagger lately, though. Like, he's kind of talking in <laughs> press conferences, and he, I think he feels like his team's <laughs> going to make a statement. I don't I don't know if I trust Well, that, I mean, but... any coach is going to talk, like, talk up their team before a big game, right? Like... I I'm be, I haven't watched yeah. what you've watched, so I don't know. But like, I, it's hard for me to put Brian Kelly and Swagger in the same sentence together. No, but like seriously. he had like a uh, he had like a mid game interview or something where he's just like, 
oh, we're going to come out in the second half, we're going to get a stop, and then we're going to march down and score. And it's I like that wasn't the Louisville game. Usually, uh, <laughs> usually, coaches don't really say that sort of thing. I don't know, like right. like I Cristobal Cristobal doesn't really say that stuff, and like a lot of coaches don't. No, I love I don't Cristobal's like. I mean, I don't love it necessarily because he's just like so by the book. Like he just says yeah. exactly what you expect. Professional. Exactly he's professional. He he's professional. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you can be professional yeah, and still like surprise some people with your comments you know yeah but like but yeah basically brian kelly was like chirping back and forth too about about like the playoff where they got blown out by clemson and he said it was like a closer game than people remember i don't know it was just like interesting i mean Um, so we talked about clemson blowing big games like think about notre notre dame's like big games over the past like what even like 10 years i mean even going back to yeah. the title game against bama right yeah that we should have been in yeah that's another that's a whole different like <laughs> episode right there which i would love to right. do an episode on, but um right like they haven't shown up for some of them right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you mentioned the playoff like i'm thinking back to the the uga game the georgia last two georgia games right mm-hmm. the last two years like where where is the validation that notre dame is a premier program like yeah this could be and, the game where they show that and and it's a high bar i mean notre dame's a good program they've had like a lot of double digit win, win seasons recently but uh, it, i mean the question always is are you clemson alabama or ohio state's mm-hmm. level and yeah, you, I mean, you're definitely right. Anytime, or or, you know, maybe Georgia's level, and anytime they've been kind of put to that test, they haven't really proven what you need to see from them. Yeah, they're still in that kind of like one A or tier two. Like, I think of them kind of on, along the lines of, with like, well, I don't know necessarily Georgia because Georgia's in like a weird in between, but like Oregon, you know, I would have said Penn State before the season started. Like, just the, the teams that have a Florida, the teams yeah. that, like, you know, in a good year, yeah, we can make the playoff, like, if we take care of business. But yeah, we're, we're they're still not, like, nobody's putting Notre Dame on the same tier as the top three. Yeah. This could be a chance for them to prove that, may, hey, maybe they do belong there. Hey, maybe Ian Book goes out and throws for, like, 400 yards. No, right. for sure. And, and for the Ducks, I think we want – uh, Clemson to to basically crush Notre Dame and then yeah. beat him yeah. again with Lawrence and then Notre Dame's done in the playoff. Mm-hmm. Simple. Okay, let's let's quick hit through these next few I think because we want to get to Pac-12 and yeah, those are the real big ones. Uh, yeah, Friday night BYU is a th- field goal favorite at Boise State. That's We're, that's just fun. Like, yeah, I mean, nothing no better to do on your Friday. Really, but like, that's a fun one. Yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. BYU could yeah. maybe make a case. Um, this is, of course, like the rest of the games on BYU's schedule, must win. Yeah, and this is kind and of a toss up. Their best B- game. Yeah, BYU only has, um, I think they only have uh, North Alabama and San Diego State on the schedule right now after this. They might reschedule Army. Um, but uh, yeah, so this is a big. This is kind of the last big hurdle, um, or at least the biggest hurdle remaining for BYU. 
in their quest to go undefeated. So I think we definitely want to be pulling for Boise State here. And and it, it's a toss-up-ish. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that should be a fun game. And then uh, Michigan-Indiana, some yeah. good Big Ten action. I mean, basically, we just want, like, I, I, I'm looking at this, like, either way you slice it. Like, if Michigan loses, oh, haha, Michigan lost again. If Indiana loses, oh, hey, number 13 just lost, and we're number 12. Right. Simple. Yeah, I think, yeah, and, and I, I just don't see any of these teams really factoring into the playoff conversation. Oh, not at all, no. Um, I kind of, like, I'm, I have a soft spot for Indiana after they beat Penn State because that was just a pretty fun game to watch. Oh, yeah. So I'm kind of pulling for them to, you know, do something cool, but I definitely don't want them to make a playoff or anything. Yeah. And Michigan's weird because, like, they looked, I thought they looked pretty good against Minnesota, but then oh, Minnesota lost yeah. to Maryland. So, and then you realize, oh, Minnesota was missing, like, all these players for the Michigan game. And it really yeah. showed up. And so, I mean, Michigan's, Michigan's only a three point favorite in this game. I'm surprised. Well, I, I don't, I, I kind of think Indiana might be the better team. I don't know. Because, wow. I mean, it Michigan. Would look, it would look now that Indiana is the better team. Uh, yeah. Especially with the Maryland, um, the Maryland Minnesota game. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I think that yes, while these teams are both deaf, well, Michigan is pretty much out, but Indiana is an outside, definitely heavy outside um, underdog at getting a playoff bid. This could be a back to back, um, a big big game spot for them where they can really make a statement. Uh, and build up some confidence and momentum for their program and for some of their younger players to maybe give them the confidence to go out and um, you know play play the rest of their schedule hard as it is. Um, yeah. You know, all they can do is try to win games, right? And try. Yeah, to and, and maybe maybe we look at them and they they're a team that that plays Ohio State close later in the year right. or something. So <laughs> that'd be cool. Um, and then last one, uh, Houston Cincy. Houston uh, Cincy, mean, go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, we just want Cincinnati to lose. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. <laughs> this is a great, like, uh, have it on your phone game if it's close, right? Yeah, exactly. And, like, trusty, trusty FBI says uh, uh, a 23% chance Houston can pull off the upset. I mean, Cincinnati, it's just great for them that they're 5-0. I don't really think that they're the sixth best team in the country. Um, and I definitely don't want them getting a playoff spot over us. So so that would be awesome. <laughs> How embarrassing that? get knocked off this weekend. <laughs> oh, um, boy. Boy, oh, boy. Okay. Got some picks in. Got... Yeah. Uh, Let's talk Pac-12 because, I mean, I was talking about having maybe a second screen game. I'm thinking, like, Arizona State at USC is a fantastic second screen game, at least for me because I'll be watching Bayern and Dortmund on, uh, <laughs> on on the big screen in my house. Keep it clean. Keep it clean. Yeah, for, us, it for, <laughs> for us Americans over here. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> are, are, are you not watching Gio Reyna play for Dortmund this weekend? No, no. Um, okay. I will be, uh, you know, waking up and I will have Arizona State, USC on the big screen, rest assured. Um, 
I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. I'm super excited for this game. No, in Uh, all seriousness, I like this is a fantastic game. Yeah, yeah. I think. uh, I mean, I. I, Obviously, we've seen none of these teams play, so it's kind of tough to like give this uh, great, you know, preview breakdown given like what a crazy offseason it was and everything. Um, But this is the premier matchup in the in the Pac-12 South. It's happening early. It's happening early in the morning, also. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, these 9 a.m. kickoffs, no joke. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know how I feel was, about that. Was. Yeah, I wonder what that's going to look like um, in terms of, like, is are, are these teams going to get off to a slow start? Are they still going to be half asleep? I don't know. I, yeah. I'd say if, if you've been waiting this many months to play football, no matter what time of day you're getting up to play, these guys are going to be torqued to go. I'm looking for yeah, a big and play like Elton, such a good motivator. Right? <laughs> I'm looking for a big like sloppy high turnover game. Like I want to see some high chaos. That could be so bad for the conference though. I just do you really think <laughs> anything that happens either way is going to boost the perception of the conference? Like, I yeah, think that actually right. if USC comes out and hammers everyone and we go and decisively beat USC, I think that looks better. For us. Oh, I, yeah, that's true. Actually, I think if yeah, Slovis. No, that's the uh, only thing is is if we could if USC like goes six and zero, and they can be a top like, I mean they probably are like a top eight they, team if they do that. Which yeah, I don't yeah, know. They if go they six and zero. They're but, top ten. Yeah. 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 And then so, we get to play them on the last weekend if we're undefeated. Like that would be we're in the playoff if we win that game, guaranteed. Right. Right. I don't know if I would rather have. Okay, so in terms of, like, when the Pac-12 was making the schedule, say, like, us fans were making the schedule, yeah, I don't know if I would choose a different game from the entire season that I would want to see as the first game of the year. If it was the Ducks playing anyone, I would be too nervous. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. maybe Washington Cal, even though we get that later in the night, like, that would be very fun to see first off, but, like... Oh, that's going to be so fun. It begs the question, do you think it's a bad thing for the conference overall that the two maybe best teams in the South are playing each other in the first game? Can you draw any conclusions from that? Like, is it a bad thing that you're putting up your second best team against Arizona State to start off the year? I mean, really, it... it I mean, this is a cop out, but it depends what happens, right? Yeah. If yeah. if USC wins and they get a bump up to like a top fifteen team next week, if they win handily, then that's like good. And and you know, I'm obviously don't like USC very much, but if USC is like good and on the national media circuit, that's like good for the conference. They do draw eyeballs, like Oregon draws eyeballs. Mm-hmm. So. It could be good to put them out there early. Here's what I think, is that I think the conference really, really wants USC-Oregon in in the last game of the season. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. And I think that actually putting USC, giving Arizona State um, as the first game on USC schedule here, their toughest game, is actually beneficial for USC in that it's not going to be a roadblock later in the season. If they do lose, it's not going to, you know, it's not going to end their season. If they lose here, they still have, you know, five more games. 
to look really good and garner national well, attention. Now, and yeah, now that's a good point because it, you know ideally USC goes in and they're six and zero, but. If right. they drop a game, I would rather have them drop one early to a pretty good Arizona State team, and then say right. they go five and one. Arizona State drops to wherever, and USC still winds mm. up in the um, championship game. They'll still be if they've won five straight and they're USC. The polls are still going to want to rank them high enough that it will be a good boost for us. So, so in that way, I think it it probably is good that these teams are playing early. I I agree. On the flip side. What's Arizona State's ceiling nationally if they are to upset this 20-ranked USC team and run the table? Certainly lower than USC's. Yeah. I, I mean, Certainly. I'm a little bit... I I mean, obviously we saw Arizona State beat us last year, and, you know, I, I have to hand it to them for that, I guess. But, I mean, they, they still went 4-5 and five in the Pac-12 in 2019. Yeah. Right. yeah. I think it's a little early to for people saying... They are like favorites in the South or, or really, you know, 1A and 1B with USC. Mm-hmm. I think they're still a, a little below. I mean, even like a Utah, I kind of am tempted to put them over Arizona State just because they've done it. I mean, they do have to replace a lot. Yeah, um, so this was my next question was, is Arizona State the fifth best team in the conference? The fifth best team? Um Obviously, well, okay. Uh, prerequisite, uh, obviously, it's too early to know any of these things. This is just for right, pure like right. entertainment purposes. Well, well, I think you have Oregon and USC number one and two. I assume pencil yeah. those in, and then uh, is Arizona State? The, I don't the, feel like they're the, at Cal or UW level. Uh, you don't think they're as good as those teams? I don't think so, top to bottom. And and that's who Arizona State's cross. I mean, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but Arizona State drew Cal in the cross divisional matchup. That's going to be a great game. It's going to be yeah, a great which, game. Which yeah. is really kind of a play by the conference to say, I mean, it's going to, it is going to be a really good game, but it kind of puts a roadblock to Cal for defending, for contending for the North and Arizona State contending for the South. So it kind of sets up the conference really once USC and Oregon or maybe USC and Washington, um, I think, to be the mm-hmm. title game. Yeah. Which makes sense. Okay. But, yeah. Let's move on. Uh, we'll get through some of these real quick. Utah is a two-touchdown favorite at home against Arizona. Yeah, That's I the just have no in Arizona. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, yes, Utah loses uh, Huntley and Moss and, like, their entire secondary. But, but yeah, but it's just like, I mean, I, I feel the same way about Oregon. Um, no, I mean, I think Oregon has a better culture than Utah, but it's it's about culture during like these uncertain times, and yes, I just exactly. trust that so much more in Utah than Arizona. Yeah, exactly. Whittingham's he's got a great thing going down there. Arizona is like, yeah. Like, when I think of Arizona, I think of just like complete chaos within the program, mostly yeah. due to Sean Miller and their basketball side of things. But like honestly, <laughs> they are not in a good spot right now. Football-wise, yeah. so. Um, um, UCLA caller at Colorado. UCLA is a touchdown favorite at Colorado, and I don't know how I feel about that because, like, yeah, they got the better team on paper, but, like, do you trust Chip Kelly to win conference games anymore? <laughs> like, yeah, they've had a lot of, like, uh, they had they were 
UCLA was one of the programs hit hardest by COVID in terms of like not having access to their facility during the off season and stuff. So yeah, exactly. And I mean, Dorian Thompson Robinson, I think is, has a lot of promise. Um, but again, you, you can only talk about potential for so long until you like just become Khalil Tate and like the world forgets <laughs> about you. Yeah, no, I, I think I just, that's one I just have to stay away from. I mean, it, you know, I would pick UCLA to win, but do I give them a touchdown? Like, I don't know. I don't know. If I, I don't feel too confident either way. So that's the 4 um, p.m. That's on ESPN2. Uh, uh, then, of course, well, we'll skip down to Wazoo at Oregon State is yeah. um, that. So this is a great, great second screen game because you got Wazoo oh, yeah. at Oregon State on the second screen and you got Washington Cal on your big screen, oh, both at so the same fun. time, both on national networks. Let's go. This is what we've, get we've been waiting breathe. for. It's right after the Ducks game. You can breathe easy. We just beat Stanford by four scores. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, four, no, four but, safeties. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, seriously, it, it will feel good to have that Pac-12 after dark come on, and uh, and that that game will be really fun. I think Wazoo and Oregon State are probably not. Um, Two teams I feel pretty confident won't be competing for the North in, in any shape, but I'm um, I'm especially kind of excited about Oregon State. Maybe, um, yeah. I mean, just under in Jonathan Smith. Yeah, just in being around like so many people who care about Oregon State, where we're from, it's like it's it's like in all seriousness, it is fun to have Oregon State be competitive. Like, no, yeah, for it's sure. Never a bad thing when both the Ducks and the Beavers are good. Like, yeah. of and, course, and it's I bad do, when you lose, but shit, I don't think that a lot. <laughs> yeah, and, and I just, I mean, yeah, just like growing up, at least for for me, I felt like uh, USC was always like kind of this evil empire we were trying to conquer, mm-hmm. and we passed, we, we did pass them up. Um, and then, uh, you know, in the recent years, the Washington rivalry has just hit a new level. Um, that is that has been you know i i have serious hatred for washington and i don't feel that way towards oregon state I, not anymore I no the roles yeah. have completely reversed for me i mean it used to be like u-dub was like oh that's a rivalry game like growing up right. i seriously like did not know until i right. was when probably won, like, like 12 straight it was like it was oh. like oh it's just another conference game like we'll beat the crap out of them every year like you can yeah. check it off before we even start the season yeah before their whole fan base like resurfaced when we were <laughs> for two years they were all hiding in the lake actually that's yeah. how it works um, <laughs> um but yeah the lake that's that'll... right next to the space needle unless you didn't know <laughs> it's like they're in the same place that'll be fun though i think uh, I like Oregon State in that game over Washington State, just given like the new coach uh, at Washington State, Nick Rolovich and stuff. So, but yeah, he'll be fun. Good second screen game. I'm and interested we'll- to see how Rolovich's offense works. Obviously, he's an area disciple um, and mm-hmm. was a product of it as well at Hawaii. But um, I think it'll be a really just entertaining matchup. I mean, both these games are just one and a half point lines. Like, I love. I would love to see both the home teams win for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's talk a little Washington Cal. Do you think that Cal can can pull this thing off again and upset the Huskies again? 
I mean, it wouldn't be an upset, right? I mean, well, yeah. Cal's, Cal's is technically favored in the game. No, like, true. I know Washington has the higher, at least Washington fans have higher standards for their program I'm at, at this moment in time. I think part of that has to do with the fact that Cal doesn't really have fans. And that, <laughs> like, like nobody in the Bay, Bay Area pays attention to college sports. Um, but I, like, and, and I mean, Washington just does have such a better roster than Cal. They really do. Be, yeah. It really would be do. embarrassing. Except at one uh, position, the position that matters the most, that is quarterback. Cal, true. I believe, I don't remember where I read this, but Cal was 7-0 and last season when Garbers was healthy. Oh, yeah, I think, yeah, that's, that's the stat if I remember correctly, too. Like, Cal is poised to win the North, barring, wait, uh, wait. barring an Oregon, like, misstep wait. somewhere. Like, as in, they are, they're like the, it's like, have you ever, oh, damn, I'm trying to think of a good metaphor. No, I know, I know what you're saying. They're, the, um, they're, they feel like they're the rightful heirs. Well, I mean, actually, UW does, but Cal, I line. think, is yeah, next yeah, in yeah. line. Obviously, we'll yeah. see after this game, but I would just love to see UW season dismantled before it even gets going again. Like, yeah, I have to say, I was listening to, um, <laughs> To the Cover 3 podcast, they just put out, like, they're over-under on win totals. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they picked under on Oregon. Like, I feel like that's just a trendy pick. It was for the six, six, it was just for the first six games, and the line was five and a half. So they said under, which is fine. We're losing a lot, and maybe we drop a game. Like, I'm not going to kill them for that. But then they said over on Washington, four and a half. Uh, and, And I just think that... And they're, you know, and it's like there are a lot of the same factors. I mean, we both have new quarterbacks. We both have new offensive coordinators. But for me, it's just like, who's going to respond better to that? Like, we have a, the better culture than Washington. I, I fully believe that. We hired a better offensive coordinator than them. We have a more talented roster than them. And, oh, oh yeah, by the way, we went eight and one in the conference last year and they went four and five. Yeah. And I mean, we, we just use that as a point to diminish Arizona state. Like, right. And that's Arizona state. (laughs) We expect them to be better in five. We certainly expect UW to be better than five losses. Like, yeah. uh, I don't know, man. I'm really excited to watch these two games. No, yeah, really excited. Um, But not as excited as I am the midday game 4 30 p.m on abc we got the national slot this is our time it's finally we're here. back no not like that not like that at all, <laughs> not like that at all. We, <laughs> we, do, we do not support the texas longhorns on this podcast hold on so we can support <laughs> stupid georgia bulldogs and stupid no. toxic culture and their stupid any any school you've attended golf you're allowed cart. to support Kirby Smart with big, a stupid big, visor. Big green wave Can't say fans. Horns? You have a problem with visors now? Did you not go through the chip era? Like, what's wrong with visors? Just look at chip now. Visors aren't 2020 success. <laughs> yeah, Fans visors are fine success. in 2011. Right. So what's the Texas in 2020 then? Well, big win. Okay, okay. So the Ducks we... are 10-point favorites against Stanford this weekend. Stanford looks a little different than they usually do. Different quarterback, maybe a little more mobile than we're used to seeing from a Stanford quarterback. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think of Stanford quarterbacks, obviously Costello was kind of like a pocket passer. You think of like back to Andrew Luck. I mean, yeah, he like sometimes he ran over people, and that was really funny. But he wasn't a dual threat by any means. <laughs> no, yeah, they're they're, I mean, they're no. drop back pocket passers. Yeah, I've, exactly. I still have PTSD from Kevin Hogan crumbling <laughs> oh, on Jesus. third and five and crossing the first down line. Like Jesus. And um, <laughs> but I mean, something we're semi used to seeing by now is Stanford with good receivers, and mm-hmm. their receiving core has kind of been the focus of a lot of the coverage. I mean, of course, when it's Stanford, you're always talking about the offensive line. You're always talking about just big physical NFL guys that will push you around. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've all seen that in the past against Oregon, especially. Mm-hmm. But it's it's kind of about the passing. Like Stanford's modernizing a little bit on offense. And I'm really yeah. excited to see how Avalos' defense responds to that. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously we, the it was just a defensive clinic, really, um, last year's game by the Ducks. So, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see. I think, that, I think that this Stanford offense has some potential, but obviously, I mean, we also are talking about, um, you know, new look, modernizing. Well, it is game one, so. Yeah working those things in necessarily versus a, a defense. I really, um, I mean, I know we're losing some things. I obviously, you know, losing Holland and Graham and, and Breeze and Troy Dye, most notably probably. Um, but I expect this defense to be pretty locked in from the, from the start, honestly. Yeah. And I mean, the, the line of scrimmage battle is something you always pay attention to in every game. Mm-hmm. determines a lot of what happens but I think especially in this game it's going to be fun to watch those guys going at it because I mean Stanford's O-line wasn't wasn't very good against us last year um yeah. but they like like Avalos mentioned his presser they're growing they're more physical this year mm-hmm. they 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 expect to be able to move us around so <laughs> I think yeah. getting a lot of rotating a lot of different dudes in there, whether it's you know Popo and Jordan in the middle, or you know Kayvon out on the edge, who is also a linebacker by the way right now. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> um, I mean we saw him play there a little last year, but not my yeah. point. Uh, I'm really excited to see how the front seven stacks up against the offense. Yeah, no, I've I've faith. I mean, you're you're totally right that this matchup has been characterized for like the past decade plus about kind of that that matchup especially um i mean on this side of the ball with with them kind of just bruising us uh and you know slowly chipping away these four yard gains six yard gains you Mm -hmm. know tumbling around and throwing it to big tight ends and, and a few playmakers um but i i just think that our our defense is really seasoned in that front seven, especially, I mean, I'm, I think Jordan Scott um, has talked about, you know, becoming a different player this off season and changed his number because of that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think, you know, Follies has a ton of experience. He gets the job done. Um, and then I, I really am, you know, super high on Kayvon for obvious reasons. I think he's like a top 10 defensive player in the country and, and one of if not the best edge rusher really in the country so that's really encouraging I mean I I love Mace Funa at the stud position uh, I love I, Isaac Slade Matutia you have to be really confident in 
And then I think we'll see if um, Noah Sewell and Drew Mathis should uh, rotate at the other spot. And, I mean, I have I confidence in either of those guys, too. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, the, again, just the depth we have in the within the front seven, especially in the linebacking core, I'm really excited to see uh, Sewell and Flo get some playing time instead of just looking at high school highlights and, you know, and, and pictures what, of them. What has Stanford really proved? I mean, they they literally finished last in the Pac-12 North last year. Hey, they beat UW, though. <laughs> well, well, five teams beat UW. <laughs> it's not that much of an accomplishment. <laughs> um, um, also, on the on the outside, I mean, I I guess now I've said I'm excited to see every single matchup on the field. But the <laughs> the wide receivers against our secondary, kind mm-hmm. of a new look secondary. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in some respects, there's a lot of guys we'll still recognize. But you mentioned this guy on the last pod, Jamal Hill is someone we're really excited to see. We haven't really taken, I think collectively Duck fans haven't thought a lot about Jamal Hill because in the back of our heads, we we still just kind of equate the nickel to Javon Holland and like Mm -hmm. say it's over with. Um, But he will be the starting nickel for this game. Right. And yeah, no, yeah. I think that's interesting too, because I mean, this all, this defense was so dynamic last year and I think people kind of fell in love with the nickel and in part because we had, Javon Holland playing mm-hmm. it, who's such an amazing playmaker. So this will be a real test to see, like, does this defense really work without someone at, you know, without Javon Holland, mm-hmm. or can, or do we have more guys who can plug in and do the same thing? And personally, I'm, I'm high on Jamal Hill. Definitely, he's been getting really good reviews out of camp, and the fact that he's just stepped in and took ownership of that nickel job when there were some other guys who could have maybe swung over and pushed for it, whether it's a Steve Stevens or Bennett Williams, who's a transfer, um, or Verone McKinley could have, you know, we, he had some uh, um, prior practice at the nickel position before last season. So if, if we didn't have a good option there, he could have swung in. But we didn't need to do any of that. And Jamal Hill locked up the job. Um, you know, he officially locked it up through the depth chart earlier this week, but... Uh, it's basically from all practice reports been his job, mm-hmm. you know, from early on, um, he separated himself and he's making, been making a lot of plays. And I'm, I have a lot of confidence that, you know, while he might not be Javon Holland, I think he's very capable of, of filling in that, that role. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, also someone to mention is Jordan Happel. I mean, mm-hmm. hometown guys from Portland, although we did go to mm-hmm. Jesuit, unfortunately, um, <laughs> Uh, I'm excited to see what he can do. He'll probably get some snaps at some point. And also a position we haven't really talked about in depth is the corners. I mean, we know Wright and Lenore, the starters, but we got DJ Dames and David Davis as the backups. Two yeah. really like physically gifted guys that I think can make a big difference, especially with yeah. their speed. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I think, uh, yeah, it's also interesting. Uh, Dante Manning is a guy who's a little nicked up, but obviously is a five-star. I think you probably don't see much of him in this game, but um, he could come on later in the year, kind of a la what uh, Mikhail Wright did last year. Um, but, yeah, I think you're right. I feel good about um, Davis and uh, 
And James. And James, yeah, exactly. But I'm a little worried about the depth after that. Uh, you know, I think we're a little thin at corner. Mm-hmm. That's one spot that if there was a, if there was someone who went down, um, could pose some problems for sure. Could pose some problems, but I feel really, I feel really, really good about those top two. I think Lenore and Wright um, are all conference guys. I mean, UW has a good secondary too. They have guys that could compete uh, for that official all conference nod, but they're top of you know they're going to be the best corners as good as any corner we see all year yeah and i mean it's worth mentioning like mckinley's got snaps at corner two i mean say say someone like williams or happel is able to step up into that safety spot maybe slide him over to corner if if really needed um in some kind of injury situation but overall yeah. i still feel pretty good about, about yeah, this the corner situation this staff also has talked a lot about um you know, cross-training guys at multiple positions, and I feel really confident that the staff's doing a good job of of prepping um, for whatever scenario happens, given kind of the unpredictability of the season. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Last thing I want to mention about the defense, um, you, you touched on Jordan Scott changing his number and how that's kind of a reflection of his changing game. We do have a lot of number changes on the defense. Um, obviously, Lenore moving to zero, since that's a number that's allowed now. I would, I've mentioned before, I would love to see that as sort of like a um, carrying some weight within the program, some sort of like LSU has the number seven that's always like mm-hmm. a star player. I would love yeah. for that to be the case with Oregon and zero. Just yeah, fits it's too the, perfectly. Right, it's the O, and it, it's also kind of new and fresh, which is everything this program is built on, yeah. kind of innovation. Yeah, exactly. Um, Pickett is now six instead of 16. Mm-hmm. Um, you got McKinley still 23, I guess, but Jamal Hill is 19. Um, so just, just some new numbers you'll see out there. And Steve Noah Stevens seven. Yep. Steve Stevens seven Sewell and Flo 10 and one. Not, I mean, numbers you're starting to see more at linebacker, which I think is really cool. Um, obviously the, the traditional ones are more like what Slade has 41 or math is 54. And Flo is a uh, 10 because of, uh, I think it's because of Reuben Foster from Alabama. Love that. Um, oh, who a lot of people compare him to. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then Sewell with one. That's just like cool. Like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I really wonder. Uh, this is a nice little segue over to the offense. Do we think that uh, we'll see Sewell, Noah Sewell get any carries at running back? I, I mean... Normally, I would say, like, on any other team, I would probably say yes, at least one point during the year. But we literally have, like, we still have Verdell, Dye, and Cyrus. Like, we got three starting guys, starting caliber guys. And I think it's really interesting that whenever you hear the team talking about it, it's always within the context of, you know... uh, Cristobal will always say we have three start three guys who could start at running back. And yet you see these sort of like very high standards and all American predictions, even for CJ Verdell. Right. I well, mentioned I, go ahead. Oh, I also want to throw in there that Sean Dollars is a guy who earned an inclusion on that organizational chart and an or after um, Cyrus. So he, I think he's a guy that we'll see get some touches more so than last year. Yeah, I really hope so. I'm really, ex- mm-hmm. I've been excited about Sean Dollar since he committed, and he's he's going to be. I view him. I've always thought of him sort of as that more like electric, like 
Oregon style like running back. I mean, we've had a lot of different types of running backs over the mm-hmm. years, but I'm I'm super excited to see what he can do. Yeah, I've seen him kind of as like a Byron Marshall type too. He's kind of this offensive weapon who could slide into the receiving game a little more because he did a lot of that at um, in high school at modern day also. Yeah, definitely. So hey, maybe hopefully we can you know get Stanford's uh, starters off the field pretty quickly so we can get ours off. You know. Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, since we're on offense now, we got to talk about quarterback. Um, yeah, Shuck and Brown are. They're not one and two. They're not one A and one B. They are one and one. <laughs> yeah. The the staff has made that very clear. Um, a lot of a lot of fans still think Shuck is kind of the the incumbent, right? I ex- I expect him to be the guy we see on the first drive of the game, but I would not be surprised at all to see Brown getting meaningful snaps during this game, even if Shuck isn't having a bad game. Yeah, I'm interested uh, in that too. I think. Um... You're right. They've they've stressed that it's a competi- that it's a close competition that's still open. Definitely, um, they've given there've been you know little wrinkles here and there where they've said, Shock's getting the majority of the first team reps and, um, and you know going into fall that he uh, had the lead. But I agree with you that I think there's a solid chance Brown gets a couple snaps. Maybe it's a unique package or or some look that we want to throw in there um but i feel good about either of these guys i think i mean as good as i can feel without seeing them on the field but this is a real test um you know we've we've kind of i think there's been a lot of optimism about shuck uh with herbert last year and even before that when we thought that he might have to start for us last year if herbert had left early mm-hmm. um but you know saturday we're gonna find out for real yeah um, let's do offensive line real quick. I mean, personally, I don't, I really like, I, I will, I'm not like anti discussing offensive line, but in this case, like there's so many ores on here that like, I don't even know if it's worth it to dive into it, but we can expect five guys on the offensive line. We don't know which five, we don't know where they'll be. Cristobal says everyone could play every position. So I, I mean, Alex Forsythe at center seems to be a lock. Um, yeah, I think that's the real lock. I think uh, it sounds like the leaders to at least get the starts are Bass and Sala at the uh, at the guard spots and Moore and Jones at the tackle spots. Um, yeah. But we'll see if those are are flipped around. Um, the, the, like those those guards or tackles could be either left or right side. It's not really clear. Yeah. Um, what do you, I, I mean, maybe it's, uh, just too early for this question. Do you think that this offensive line is, is a clear step down from last year? Or do you think that there's some, I mean, how do you you think it compares? Like, I think it's going to be a step down, um, but not as much as people are assuming, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you think of last year, you think of a bunch of NFL guys and Sewell, like, yeah. the freaking Outland Trophy winner. Like, mm-hmm. yes, it's going to be a step down from that. Is it going to be drastic? No. I still think this offensive line will be completely dominant. Dominant. Like, it's yeah. it's much deeper than just saying, oh, Mario Cristobal's going to, you know, always going to have a good offensive line. Like, of, yes, we know that. Of course he is. Like, these guys are ready to play. He means it. Like, 
I, yeah. I'm really excited to watch some of these guys. We're, quick, it's not like we're starting like five freshmen or something. None of these guys yeah. are freshmen. Yeah, I mean, quickly, like how I feel about it is is um, Forsyth and, and more kind of two guys that I look at as like program guys who are kind of in the same mold as a lot of the dudes we saw just exit here, you know, mm-hmm. like a Jake Hansen or a Throckmorton who've been in, been in the program a long time. Um, and they don't have maybe the highest ceiling, but uh, they know the scheme well. They're hard workers, and I think they can get the job done. And then I think Bass and Sala at the guard spots are really high upset. I mean, Sal, uh, I mean um, Bass, sorry, uh, is a JUCO guy that in camp they've been saying is really a nasty blocker. Um, mm-hmm. I I think he's I think he's probably my pick for our second best alignment right now. Saul is just a huge uh, human being. Massive. Um, so I think he'll be able to get a push. And then I think the star, the best offensive lineman we've got is Steven Jones, who's a yeah, guy I who, who I think easily could have started last year for us um, and is kind of the heir to Penne. Um, not that he'll be that level, but I, I think he's the all-conference offensive lineman for sure. All right, let's move on to wide receiver real quick, and then we'll get out of here. Um Pittman, Red, and Johnson. Uh, some of us, I mean, those of us who haven't been paying as much attention maybe thought Devin Williams would get a starting spot somewhere. I'm completely fine with Johnny Johnson getting the starting spot. I mean, Williams is obviously going to get snaps. I mean, same same goes for all, you know, every, everybody listed in the first, like, two rows yeah. here. Like, yeah. I, we know what we have with Jalen Red extremely solid guy like mm-hmm. great goal line scorer great super i mean you were talking about guys who can play different positions like byron marshall i mean obviously red isn't a similar like body type but he definitely is a guy that can you know whether it's kind of a sweet play or a screen or a crossing route or totally you know, getting to the outside getting just to the a edge. good weapon yeah totally and then um, michael Pittman. i am i don't know if there's a player i'm more excited to see this entire year than Micah Pittman. Like I've been high on Micah Pittman for so long. I was so disappointed when he hurt himself last year, but I was, I loved that he got to show his stuff in the Rose bowl and that he got a lot of kudos from the announcers. Like I'm, I'm just super excited for him to get a starting spot now. No, I I think he'll take another, uh, another leap. I think um, uh, you you touched on Johnny Johnson, but I just want to highlight he and Chuck are both from Arizona. have been working together. And Johnny Johnson, if he can kind of take like what he looked like in that Arizona State game and put that on the field for a full year, he can be like a top five wide receiver in the conference. Oh, definitely. I mean, like that game was an absolute crisis mode. And then Johnny Johnson just like went insane, put the team on his back and like looked like the best player on the field. Yeah, I mean, shoot, pull up the Utah tape. Like, he right. looks like the best player out there. Like, yeah, absolutely. So maybe Brady Breeze. Like, <laughs> he went off. Um, yes. So that'd be awesome. And then tight end. Um, yeah. Camp Warren, McCormick, Webb. I trust all those guys. Camp yeah, Warren's I, a better blocker. McCormick is. I, I really I thought McCormick would get the starting spot by this time, but I mean, it's fine. Like, there's some worry <laughs> that um, that McCormick and Webb could be out. Uh, Saturday too, which is a bit of a bit of a scary sight. 
what I really want to see is DJ Johnson get snaps at tight end. Uh, that yeah, he's <laughs> the converted defensive tackle. Um, yeah, just I, I I was really questioning why we needed another tight end um, when he made the position change. I think that was over the summer or in the spring, maybe winter. I don't know. Everything kind of blended together in COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but him and Patrick Herbert are the other backups. Um, we all we've all heard about Patrick Herbert by now. Um, but yeah, Camp Moyer is kind of assumed as the the starter for this one. I think. Yeah. Um, oh. Go ahead. Okay, so um, unless there's anything else you you want to say, really. Yeah, I got um, one more question for you. Okay. Who do you want to see returning punts? Oh, I want to see. Uh, I think that I want to see Pittman. Oof, I I'm I don't know. I mean, I think Pittman's probably the best guy. Uh, I'm a little like I, I yeah, go back and forth on sense. whether we should worry about injury or not. Uh, I like Hudson a lot too. That's what I was gonna say. I re- yeah. I really want to see Chris Hudson. Not not just because he's a freshman and we haven't really seen him. Well, I mean, do anything yet? But like, I I really think this guy could be special. And I think it could be like a sort of Mikhail Wright situation where we we know his name because of what he does on returns. Yeah, which I think is really kind of a cool way to incorporate the freshman in is give him some snaps, get some in-game experience, but also kind of give him this role and and let them own that and and kind of start to make the big plays and and stuff there. So I think that would be really cool. Yeah. Um, One other question is just uh, how do we see, um, you know, something we haven't really touched on is this is not only a new quarterback, new offensive line, this is a new offense in terms of our system. Do we think that that has an effect Saturday that we get off to the um, gates a little slow maybe? or Honestly, like, I don't – first of all, I don't, I don't really think that's something I can – you know, one can predict. But mm-hmm. uh, I actually – I – the way this program has been talked about, and, I mean, we spend all this time talking about – the culture and how Cristobal organizes things and how he makes the right hires. I'm ready to see those translate. Like there's no reason that we should have a slow start. I agree. There's plenty, but, like you can throw plenty of excuses at it, but at the end of the day, like Cristobal's not taking those excuses. Joe Moorhead's not going to take those excuses. No, absolutely. Tyler Shuck and Anthony Brown aren't either. Like we're ready right. to go. We're right. ready to do this thing. We're ready to watch some football. <laughs> right. I mean, we can, I, we can move the ball on these guys. Absolutely. And we've been talking all off season about how the installs ahead of schedule and the, the offense is kind of just in the last few weeks starting to punch back a little bit against, um, against the defense, you mm-hmm. know, as, as happens with a new system in practice. So yeah, I agree. I think, I think we got to, you know, turn on the gas to start and, I think we can do it. Yeah, I think we're ready. I mean, the, these players wanted to play, and it, it's it's time, you know, for that to show that. Right I'm here. so excited. Okay, so last word: Ducks are favored by ten Saturday. What do you think the Ducks score are is going to be? Favored by ten. What's we... the total? I don't even remember. I don't have it written uh, down. I'm not sure. It's not up on my ESPN right now. Um, I I still think ten points is too low. 
personally. Like that's not even yeah. just my bias. Like I, I think ten is too low. No, I agree. I think uh, that over under set at fifty one. I think that people just haven't caught. Okay, so what would that score be then? Uh, well, anyways, I get thirty to twenty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I just think that people haven't really caught on to, uh, to like, because I just think the lines accounting for the fact that we've lost so much. Yeah. 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 But I just think people haven't really caught on to the culture of the program. And I, you know, I sound like a broken record, but. But it matters every day. Like every time we talk about it, it's important. And following this program so closely, it's just as so apparent that things are being done the right way from everything we can see. It feels like things are being done the right way. Mm -hmm. And that's going to show. I I mean, I think it's, and it's just going to, you know, that culture I think is just being ingrained more and more each year as Cristobal has had more time with every player on the roster and, God more of his guys in there. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, score projection, I probably lean like Ducks. I would say like like 31 to like 13 or something. I was yeah, thinking I think, I think the 35 Ducks to game, 20. Yeah. This, the Ducks win this game by two touchdowns and a field goal, three touchdowns, 17 points, something like that. Um, They're just more talented. Their coaching staff is better, and they're going to come out hot and ready to prove to the national media that they deserve to be where they're ranked. So, Like, something always weird happens in the Stanford game, but, like, hey, maybe this is a year where we finally get a normal one, right? Yeah, I I could see the Ducks, like going down early in the first quarter or something like that. Maybe there's drive turnover or something like that. But I think by the end of this game, at the end of those 60 minutes, the Ducks are going to have come away comfortably with a victory. Yeah, and, and I mean, something weird didn't really happen last year, you know, not to just focus on one game sample. But I mean, yeah, I we were we controlled that game and, and I think it was 21-6. So yeah. I don't know if this Stanford I, – I just – in I my mind, the Stanford I just kind offense of, getting to twenty. Yeah, I that's what, yeah. I I think twenty is kind of their. I. Anything over twenty, offensive points wise, I would consider kind of a, uh, you know. Maybe I need to lower my expectations a little bit for this defense, but yeah. last year, like I think I still consider last year as kind of an odd game because it was the first time we saw our defense be dominant. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, we were dominant first half against Auburn at, at times, but, like, we don't need to explain why that was a little different <laughs> no, by true, the end yeah. of it. Like, uh, that was kind of our coming out party where a lot of fans were sort of like, wow, eight, six points? Like, that's it? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we only scored 21, but, like, six? Oh, this defense yeah. is for real. Like, Yeah, totally. Well, Well, I'm excited, you know. I mean, next time... We're going to be talking on this podcast. We'll have just watched some Ducks football. Mm-hmm. And that is mm-hmm. that thought is, like, so exciting. I'm, like, my heart is beating, like, very fast. <laughs> and my leg is shaking right now. <laughs> uh, I know. Well, I can't wait, boys. I can't wait. We've waited can't so wait. long. Let's can't go. Wait. All right. Um, All right, boys. Good stuff. Yeah. Let's do this. All right. Go Ducks. And, Let's uh, get a win Saturday. Yep. Let's hope for a Washington loss. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm ready to watch some Pac-12 football, baby. Let's go. Yes, yeah. sir. All right. All Good right. night. Bye.